this evening we're going to look at Mark chapter number 8, so I'll have you turn there, but we'll get there in just a minute. And uh, I, I just want to be honest with you this evening, this passage bothers me. Uh, part of it is because um, this is a passage that's only found in the book of Mark. It's not found in the other, in the other gospels. And sometimes when you get a story or a, a parable or a lesson from Jesus, it's nice to be able to go to the other books of the Bible to compare it because the perspectives that they have on it, each man uh, through the gospels had one perspective over the others. And, and the total perspective makes it very clear. Uh, I, have to, I also have to preface this with this morning, I almost fell off the stage. I don't know if anybody saw that, but uh, I stand close to the edge and I took a step thinking that there was more room than there was. So if I fall off this morning, uh, this evening, don't worry about it, I'll get back up. Uh, but uh, you, it's nice to be able to take scripture and compare it to scripture. Anybody else agree with me on that? I mean, you, you'd like to be able to compare it and to see and to get the full picture of it. And this story is only found in the book of Mark. There's no record of it anywhere else in the Bible. And there's only two stories like this, two times that Jesus heals people, that it's only in the book of Mark. It's not in any other chapter or any other book of the Bible. And so when you read it, for me at least, it's one of those where, okay, God, why? Why is it in any other, in, in any other book? And as you read commentators and you go study it out and you look in all these books that you know, he's supposed to help you as to understand what the scriptures mean, most of them say the same thing. We don't know. Very helpful. Thank you. So you go to God and you say, God, help me out. You wrote this. And uh, you hope that you get something from it. But passages like this tend to bother me. Part of it is because of the expectation versus the reality. I don't know if you've ever seen pictures like that. Here is what it's supposed to look like. You know, the, the mother who's making the cake that's supposed to be Cinderella. And here's what it actually turned out to be. Not exactly Cinderella, more like an ogre. Uh, but it's supposed to, the, the perception of what it's going to look like versus the reality of what it does. I don't know if you've ever worked on a project at home. Husbands are great at this. Hey, honey, we need the dishwasher fixed. I can fix that. Do you know anything about dishwashers? No, but it can't be that hard. Uh, yeah, get the uh, 911 on speed dial, you know, get them ready. So all you have to do is hit that last one when he sticks the screwdriver in the wrong place. Uh, we, we, we think that we can fix it. And the reality at the end of it is that I got to call somebody and get some help on this. When I first started, uh, when I first started preaching, as a, as a young man, I always wanted to be a preacher. That was, that was my dream for life. I knew that that's what God wanted me to do, and I could not wait to do it. So as a young man in my early 20s, I began to, I began to preach as opportunities came. And uh, you always listen to preachers, and you find, you can go online, and you can see a few videos of men like Billy Sunday. You can read uh, Spurgeon's sermons, and you, you listen to these guys, and you think, man, am I going to be like that? You, you listen to Billy Graham preach, and man, how is he so dynamic, and yet so stoic, and, and how do you do that? And so how am I going to preach? And so I, I began to preach, and, and one day I was at a church, and we knew a lot of people at that church, and, and uh, after preaching, a lady came up to me, one of my friends that I grew up with, she came up to me, and she said, while you were speaking, it finally hit me 
who you sound like. And in my mind as a preacher, you're like, all right, is it, is it that booming voice of George Whitfield? Is, you know, has she heard him somewhere in the past? Is it, is it Billy Graham? Is it uh, you know, all these different preachers, Lee Robertson and, and others, Bob Jones Sr., who was it? And uh, she said, I finally figured it out. Now remember, perception versus reality. She said, you remind me of Kermit the Frog. <laughs> Zeta, that's not what you want to hear. So for the rest of the evening, you're all going to be picturing Kermit the Frog. Um, I don't know if I sound like Kermit the Frog or not, but maybe I do. But her, her, her answer to me was not what I expected. And this passage that we're going to look at tonight is along that same lines because it's not what we expect. If you look at Mark chapter number 8, and we're going to start in verse number 22. Mark chapter 8, in verse number 22, it says, And he cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring him a blind man, and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught. And he looked up and he said, I see men as trees walking. After that, he put his hands again on his eyes and made him look up. And he was restored and saw every man clearly. Here we have this story of what seems to be a miracle that didn't work. If you look at this, here's a man that was blind. Now let me back up just a minute to what Bethsaida was. Bethsaida was a familiar city throughout Scripture. Jesus had been here many times. Jesus had fed the 5,000 near Bethsaida. They had done many miracles in Bethsaida, and Jesus basically had given up on this city. Take your Bibles and look what Jesus said about Bethsaida over in Matthew chapter number 11. Matthew chapter number 11 and verse number 21. Matthew 11, verse 21, Jesus said, Woe unto thee, Chorazin, woe unto thee, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at that day of judgment than for you. Jesus had done miracle after miracle. Jesus had performed healings. Jesus had been there and ministered. Three of the apostles, three of the disciples were from this town. They came here all the time passing through, and Jesus had basically said, I'm done with you. All of these miracles you haven't accepted. And just before this, they're asking for a sign in Mark chapter 8. They're asking for a sign, and Jesus said, I'm not giving you any more signs. But then they bring him a blind man. And they ask, notice what they ask of him in verse number 22. And they besought him to touch him. Now, what's the significance of a touch? You know, when you're sitting there, I remember as, as a kid, excuse me while I come down here, I remember as a kid sitting with my father in church 
or beside my father someplace. And he would put his arm up around me as a kid. And I got from him one of his traits, and that is I have huge veins. When I put my arm up and the blood flow stops, all the veins pop out like a giant road map. And I remember my kids sitting there next to me, and they would be pushing on the veins in my hand during church and playing with the veins in my hand. And some of you kids are like, yeah, I remember doing that with my dad. And I remember my dad would do that. And I, and I remember that when my dad would want to draw me close, he'd touch me. I remember when my mom would get upset with me, she would touch me. It would be a very firm touch on my ear, or in a way that only mothers can do it, somehow there's a class that they teach mothers how to grab the jaw of a child and almost dislocate it, but not quite. And to be able to let children know, I am very serious at this point. A touch. Uh, It's okay. A touch. But in this day, the culture said, don't touch them. You're unclean if you touched a leper, but what did Jesus do? Jesus touched the leper and healed him. Earlier in chapter number eight, I'm sorry, chapter number seven, in verse 32 through verse 36, Jesus touched a blind man. Jesus gave him a wet willy, spit on his hands and stuck his fingers in his ears and said, now can you hear? And the guy said, I can hear. Jesus, all through Scripture, touched people to heal them. And the people brought this blind man to Jesus, and they said, touch him. Just touch him, touch him. What about that lady with the issue of blood? Jesus didn't touch her, but she touched the hem of his garment, and she was healed. Just a touch. And they knew, or they believed that they knew, that if Jesus would just touch him, he would be okay. But look at this passage with me. In verse number 23, it says, And he took the blind man by the hand. Isn't that a touch? I'm glad Thomas is sitting up here this evening because he's going to help me. He didn't know he was going to help me. He just decided to sit up here, but he's going to help me. When I was in Africa as a 16-year-old on a mission trip, they told us, they said, Now there's a custom here that is different than you have in America. Because we were walking around and we would see two girls walking down the street holding hands and we'd see two guys walking down the street holding hands. And as a 16-year-old American boy, we were like, what's going on there? And they said, those are just friends. They said, now we'll warn you. You're going to be here for about two weeks. And in this two-week span of time, there's a young man that's with us all the time going wherever we go. His name was Yao. And this young man, he's going to become very close to you and be aware that when they feel comfortable with you, they're going to grab your hand, not to shake it, but to hold it. Just to hold hands. That's what friends do. And so one day I remember that we were walking down the, the, a street we were going on. It was a day that we were just going sightseeing, and um, Yao was next to us, and there were three or four of us other teenagers, and we're walking down the street, and all of a sudden this hand, he was about a foot and a half taller than I was, this hand reached down and grabbed my hand. Now, I don't know about you, but if a strange person comes up and grabs my hand, my first reaction is to pull it away. They said, don't do that. You will offend them. 
So Yao reached down and he grabbed my hand. And you better believe I knew I was being touched. I didn't necessarily like it, but I endured it. But this says that Jesus went to that blind man, let me see your hand, went to that blind man and grabbed him. He touched him. And what happened when Jesus touched him? Nothing. Nothing happened. He wasn't healed. He didn't feel a jolt. He didn't all of a sudden begin to see. Nothing happened. And I have a problem with this because what happens in life when we do those things that we're supposed to do and nothing happens? My brother, you just need to pray. And you go and you pray. And there's some that Jesus said, these things only come out by prayer and fasting. And so we pray and we fast. What do we do when we do exactly what we're supposed to do and nothing happens? Don't you get discouraged? Is it just me? Or do sometimes I feel like, God, I am doing everything that I'm supposed to be doing and I feel nothing? You've touched those people before. Just a few verses ago, you touched a man and his hearing came back and now you've touched me and I've got nothing. God, I've been looking for a job and, and uh, Mr. Shaw was looking for a job and it seemed like he was waiting and waiting and waiting and doing everything he was supposed to do and he was begging God and nothing was happening. And what do you do when what you think is supposed to work doesn't work anymore? What do you do when you go to your prayer closet and you say to God, God, just do it again. I remember that, the movie, The War Room. I don't know if you all have seen that, but the lady at the end of The War Room, as she was praying, she said, God, do it again. Touch the hearts again. And she's asking God to do the same thing that you've done in the past. Do it again. And God sometimes says to us, I'm not interested in just doing it again. I want your attention. I want you to focus on me. And when we go to God and we expect God to do it again and we go to God and it's the same thing that we've had happen to us before and we go to him and we say, God, do it again and nothing happens. All of a sudden, we stop focusing on the thing that we want to do and we start focusing on the person of God. And sometimes God wants us to quit focusing on the thing and start focusing on him. Because we're real good. We're real religious we're the Sunday night crowd. We're the real religious people, right? We know what, we, what we're supposed to do. The kids in here, they can give me the church answer. But sometimes God is looking for more than the church answer. He's looking for more than what I've done in the past. And we see this through David. We see this with Joshua. In Joshua, they went to Jericho and they destroyed Jericho. And without even thinking, they did the same thing again. And what happened? They were destroyed. David went into battle and, and he said, God, am I supposed to go up? And God says, go up against him. And the second time he went to God and he said, God, am I supposed to go up? And, and God said, yes, but don't do it the same way. Do it differently this time. Go around behind them and wait. Because sometimes God is trying to get our attention rather than us keep going back to God for the same thing over and over again. Sometimes God doesn't do it the same way that we thought he should.
But look at this passage again. Look at verse number 23. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. Why did he lead him, lead him out of this town? There's a lot of speculation as you read about what happened and why he led him out of the town. A lot of speculation. But did he lead him out of town so that those people that knew him, who called him by name, which what's his name in this passage? We have no idea. He's called the blind man. People identify you by your problems. Oh, you're the person with the, oh, you're the one with the, oh yeah, you've got that. And I think Jesus had to take him away from those people who identified him by his problem and say, hey, come over here. Let me get you by yourself and let me deal with you on your own. In verse number 23, and he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw. When Jesus touches us, oftentimes he tests us in response. All right, in the past, Jesus had touched people and they've been healed. This time he touched them and he said, what do you see? What do you mean, what do I see? What do you see? You're blind, what do you see? I don't know, I see things. What are those things? He says in the next passage, he said, and he looked up and he said, I see men as trees walking. This man was honest about his condition. You know what we would do today? If we have something wrong and somebody says, here, let me help you, or is that better? Or how are you doing in? What do we do? We put on a front and say, everything is okay. You know, let me be honest, as a youth pastor, youth, sometimes you may think, well, you have all the answers. I don't. I'm discovering them as I go. As I have children that go through the different phases of life, I have one that's getting ready to go off to college. And I am trying to convince her that that is not God's will. I'm showing her passages of scripture where she's defying her parents. God's going to only judge that. She needs to stay here. God says that the uh, help comes from the north, not from the south. She needs to stay north. I mean, I'm showing her good scripture. And she is saying, no, dad, I've got to go south. Man, that's some tough emotion to handle. You that have had your, your first one graduate, that's some tough emotion to handle. Those of you who are coming into the years where your last ones are graduating this year, man, in two years, we're going to be empty nesters. And I asked my wife, what are we going to do? And she says, anything we want to do. <laughs> you know, there's so much emotion and, and in life, there's so much happening. But you know when life isn't clear, we just need to be honest about it. It's okay to go to somebody and say, you know what, I am really struggling with my kids right now. Try to go somebody that's had their kids go through it already. But go to them and say, you know what, I am really struggling right now. We are in this place and I don't get it. My kids are all leaving the house. I don't know what I'm going to do. You go ask people that, are, that have no kids in the house, say, what do you guys do? 
And their answer, anything we want to. <laughs> How do you deal with that? How do you deal with the phases of life? How do you deal with the changes? How do you deal with the kids that come back home? Dad, I want my independence. Go get your independence. Dad, I'm coming back home. I thought you wanted independence. No, I need money. All right, I want food. Okay, come back home. Now your house is full again. What do you do? You know, it is okay to not be okay. It's time for us as a church to allow people to be real and to say, I'm not all right. We walk in here and what do we do? One of the first questions we ask everybody is, how are you doing tonight? And you know what we want to hear? I'm fine. You know that person that goes, you know what, I'm really struggling tonight. Oh, really? I got to go. I really didn't want to hear that. I wanted to hear that everything was fine so we could keep up our facade and everybody's okay. Now, we don't need to walk in here and start unloading our problems on everybody. You know, that, that person that if I walk in here and I'm like, you know what? Life is just bad. I bought a brand new coat, and people think I'm an Ohio State fan now. <laughs> and it just goes downhill from there. <laughs> you know, sometimes problems aren't as bad as we think they are. But sometimes it's okay to go to somebody and say, I'm struggling right now. I'm really struggling. Talked to Larry Wise, and he's getting ready to retire, has retired, kind of retired, not really, doesn't know what to do with himself because he has retired. Mary won't let him stay at the house, got to go work. What do I do? How do I, how do I manage this tension that I'm now going through? And we're all struggling, but we all keep this facade that everything's okay, and people say, how do you see? And we th we're walking around blind, seeing men as trees, going, it's fine, it's perfect. It's all good. Do you want some help? No, no, I can see. Just fine. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. When in reality, we ought to be going to each other saying, you know what? I'm struggling right now. You know, Jeff, I'm, I'm going through a difficulty, and I need some help. I go to Jeff because he's a much older man than I am. And, and you go to somebody that you know who cares for you and will walk with you through life. We're all blind in some area. We all can't see perfectly. And we all need help. So it's important for us to be able to go to people and say, you know what, I may be able to see clearly over here but over here, isn't it funny how people, you, you talk to them and you, you see their life? Mr. Fish and I have a common friend. It is coffee. We love coffee. And it's funny talking to people about coffee because they will say something about Tim Horton's coffee and think that they're on the same conversation that we're on. They go to Starbucks and they think that it's the same conversation. And people, they talk about, my, my father-in-law is a truck driver. And he tells me that Pilot has the best coffee. And I say, Dad, do you understand that the reason that Pilot has all those flavored creamers 
buy their coffee is because they can't stand the taste of the coffee and you have to cover it up with the flavored creamers. Oh no, it's the best because you can get 73,000 ounces for 99 cents. <laughs> That's why it's no good. And we have a common friend coffee and people come up and we are enlightened on coffee, we think, and we talk about it and we like coffee and somebody comes up that wants to be part of that conversation and they begin the conversation of coffee and think that they're talking about the same thing, but we do this in life. We talk about things, we go to people, and we think that we're okay when in reality, if you allow some time with Mr. Fish, he can enlighten you on what coffee is supposed to taste like, and you will enjoy it. A beverage of choice, not something you have to drink. Because where we may be blind, there are people that can see and can help us. Where are you blind this evening? But look at what this, this man did. And he looked up and he said, I see men as trees walking. He was honest about his condition. After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up. And he was restored and saw every man clearly. Jesus touched him and completely healed him the third time. The first touch was to grab him and take him out of the city. Nothing happened. But God, we asked you to touch him. You touched him. Nothing happened. The second time he touched him, it was a touch that opened his eyes a little bit, but he was still not able to see completely. The third time Jesus touched him, he was able to see completely. Do we settle in our lives for blurry vision? I'm doing okay with my kids. You know, if you really focused in this area, you might be able to push them a little bit further. I know, I know, I know. I don't, I'm just trying to raise average kids. Do you know in your job, we were talking about this the other day with somebody, that uh, when I was in college, I worked for a place called Brazeway in Adrian, Michigan. And I was always taught you work as hard as you can and do as much as you can in the time that you have. So if you're there and you can make 100 pieces in an hour, you make 100. If you can make 150, you make 150. Don't do the bare minimum. And so as a college student trying to make a good impression on the company, I'm in there in this, machine, in this factory, I have my headphones in, and I'm, I'm making these parts. I mean, I am, I am laying them out. After about three days, the other employees around me gathered me in. They surrounded me, and they said, knock it off. I'm just doing the best I can. Don't do that. Why not? Because in three months, you're leaving, and we have to try to keep up with your numbers. Don't do that. Okay. So I went back and just did what they told me I needed to do. Content doing the bare minimum. And in life, I think this parable teaches us that sometimes when our vision is blurry in life, that God will come along and he'll, in his time, in his process, accomplish his will. The intention was to heal this man. The wish was that it was in one touch, as they've seen before. 
But the reality was that God had a plan that he wanted to get across, not to this blind man. Go back up to verse number 18. In verse 18, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he says to his disciples, you have eyes and you see not, and you have ears and you hear not, and you do not remember. At the end of chapter 7, Jesus healed the deaf man, having ears and you hear not. In chapter 8, he healed the blind man, having eyes and you see not. How's your vision tonight? Do you see what God is trying to do in this place? Do you see what God is trying to do in your life? You know, I look around and I see people that are they're all over the aspect of being able to reach into a community and have a God moment with people all around them. Do you see what God's trying to do in your life today? Do you see that God is interested in you and what you can do? If we all see this week that God has a mission for us, and in his time and in his way we can accomplish that mission, we can see a great impact in this area. God wants to use us. But do we settle for blurry vision? Well, I guess it's okay. My father-in-law had, years ago, he had his his eye, the corrective eye surgery. And when he had it done, it's where they went in and they pulled back the clear layer of your eye and they took a file and they kind of sanded down the lens of your eye. And then they put that clear layer back over and he said it felt like he had dirt in his eyes for like two weeks. But then his eyes healed and he could see clearly. So many of us are content not seeing clearly. Do you go to the eye doctor every year? Sometimes. Or is it only when you realize I can't see the signs on the road that I'm supposed to be seeing? I keep passing my exit that I shouldn't be passing. I keep getting speeding tickets because I can't see the speed limit sign. So I guess I'll go get them checked now. Sometimes we get content with blurry vision. Are you content tonight with blurry vision? Or do you see clearly what God is trying to accomplish in your life?